0: This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential. Welcome, Eric Anderson, editor in chief at Awards Watch. Thank you so much for joining me, you busy, busy elf of awards season.
1: I am I am an elf of award season. I really like okay, I'm going yeah. with that. Yeah, good, I like good.
0: that. So next time you little hat. Yes. So these last few weeks since we've talked, so much has happened in pop culture. I've learned so much. I've learned about Sporus, the young boy who the Roman Emperor Nero favored and then castrated and married. <laughs> <laughs> Terminal Tom is now triumphant Tom. Yes, I'm talking about mm-hmm. succession. And I want to talk to you about this um, incredible season. But first, last time we talked, I promised that we would get your inside info on the crazy, controversial Golden Globes and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, who despite no one seemingly wanting them, they defiantly announced their nominations, but their revolution will not be televised. NBC has decided against airing the awards show that they, in previous years, paid $60 million for. So just a quick background, the HPFA are dogged by controversy. Last year it came to light that out of the like 85-ish members from 55 countries, not one single black member. They have questionable ethical practices. Tom Cruise returned his three globes. But what happened? Tell me about your reactions to last night's nominations?
1: Well, they were kind (laughs) of (laughs) good. See, they're
0: gonna get you. They're gonna pull you right back in.
1: (laughs) All things considered, they were kind of good. And there were a few clues as to what studios were willingly participating and, you know, which were kind of turning a blind eye and which were actively participating. Because as we know, when the the big boycott happened it started with publicists and they told the hollywood foreign press you know we're not sending any talent to you we're not sending any movies we're not doing anything with you and that was a year ago that was just about a year ago and so they've unveiled and implemented some changes i don't think enough to 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 do much very quickly uh, they did bring in 21 new members, so they are over 100 now. Their membership list is now public. Uh, and so they, I do think that they are trying, but on the, on the other side, they're doing it because their hand is forced because and they don't feel like they need to. They, they said several times and even recently have made some really inflammatory comments still because mm-hmm. they're kind of just not getting it. And so we're in a strange place, you know, awards wise and in the, the sphere of it, where this is an organization that's in its 79th year. It is a staple in, in award season, but at the same time, you know, the last few years has very much been about trying to clean a little bit of house in Hollywood and not allowing the things that have been around a long time to just simply continue to exist. So when the nominations came out, we saw, the thing that that stood out to me most was Nightmare Alley getting completely snubbed. And that was- Guillermo del Toro's new. Yes, from Searchlight Pictures. And it's a late breaking film, but the film has been seen. It's been seen by critics, it's been screened. And we do know At least from the Vanity Fair Little Gold Men podcast that there were three studios who actively did not send out screeners or offer screenings to the Hollywood Foreign Press. Normally what they do in a quote unquote normal year is they they generally all see a movie together because they're a very small group and they can just organize the the screenings and they all see them at once. And anyone that misses, they do have screeners. And so we, we can see across the board the studios that obviously participated, or at least the films that were seen. So I just have this feeling that Searchlight said, no, we're, we're not going to do this. Even though we have nominations for uh, Jessica Chastain, Now I'm blanking. French Dispatch. Both films that were earlier in the season and easily could have been seen without the the need for screeners. So there's, I think there might be something going on there, but I also think that (laughs) it's a very tough place to be, whether you are a journalist talking about the golden globes or whether you are a studio or network that wants to participate in them because you want to kind of have your cake and eat it too. And I completely am in that, that position. Uh, There are, other journalists who have been very critical about anyone even reporting on the Golden Globes. And I get it, and I respect that opinion, but I still have a job to do.
0: If there's no show on January 9th, right? Where the Critics' Choice has taken their slot and everything, if there's no show, does it really matter to be part of this?
1: It kind of doesn't. And that's another thing that we saw yesterday too, of which studios were participating in talking about their Golden Globe nominations and which weren't. Disney was uh, quite a bit uh, in with West Side Story, so the 20th Century Studios, which is a part of Disney, uh, had plenty of immediate you know, ads that talked about their Golden Globe nominations and Critics' Choice nominations, which happened the same day. So we can kind of see where, where people are at with that. And certain celebrities like Jessica Chastain uh, also, you know, made tweets and social commentary thanking, you know, the Globes for the nomination. So, the thing about talking about them and reporting on them, though, is I think it is a crucial part of this process because you can do it while also being critical of it. And I think it was important to have this year's awards be seen under a bit of a microscope because we wanna see what the change is gonna be. This happened with the Oscars. It happened post-Oscars So White, Mm -hmm. and it didn't mean everybody just completely abandoned talking about the Oscars. It just made our scrutiny of it uh, much stronger, which I think is a really important part of all of this.
0: But it's also, they're not, completely stupid, um, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. I mean, if they wouldn't come out and did their own nominations via their YouTube channel, no one would be talking about it. So everyone's talking about it because, of course, it's a story, just the fact that they are doing this.
1: And speaking of that announcement, Snoop Dogg doing them was one of the wildest and actually coolest things yeah. I've ever seen. He was great and, and he was trying so hard with all those names and bless his heart. Uh, that was amazing. Yeah. I I love that he that he turned Denis Villeneuve into a, a Latino. Good for good for him. Latino representation.
0: But how do you think that they're gonna present their winners?
1: Well, they have no channel. They have nobody that is going to uh, to to show the show. Nobody's going to. It's going to be basically what we saw today or yesterday. And I know that they are reaching out to celebrities to present and and to participate. But I uh, I don't know. I have a hard time seeing it be be very much of a of a show. And I think they know that. I think they're probably scrambling really hard to try and make something happen. And then at the same time, you're going to have these celebrities whether they're nominees or potential presenters who's who's going to be the the first to jump in that pool? Nobody's going to want to be the one to say yes first. They're going to want to reach out to everybody else and everybody else's publicist and Everyone's going to be calling each other this week and you going. You go
0: first if first. Yeah, it's like, Aldo, are, are you, you going to go? go? <laughs> if you
1: go, we'll go. Like a... That's that's what's happening this week. Is is figuring that out?
0: The fact that this wasn't a total disaster, that people still thought Snoop Dogg was fun, and that that you know, a few people were still you know happy and saying thank you and things like that. Maybe you know, by the time January 9th rolls around, this is going to be like a, a, I don't know, like a talked about thing.
1: I think so, but and, and also too uh, <laughs> the, the the concept of of cancel culture within the the context of Hollywood is a pretty flimsy one. You do have to be a Harvey, you know, Weinstein or a Scott Rudin, basically to kind of
0: but not a Mel Gibson.
1: But not a Mel Gibson, exactly right, which is what I was just gonna say that there is there is a desire to—I don't want to say forgive. There's a desire to turn the other cheek and look away more than there is to to implement force change. It's it's we're so far from that with with Hollywood.
0: There were dueling nominations yesterday, Critics' Choice Award, which have taken um, their slot on January 9th. They're going to be airing their show um, when the Golden Globes were going to, so they seem to be dueling in many ways. But let's talk about those nominations that came out yesterday and, and these days. Um, I've been reading that a lot of people, and I feel it myself, or are now putting together my predictions for January, that they're pretty safe. It's what we expected, right?
1: Critics' Choice, yeah. Critics' Choice is, you know, even though they're, they always fluctuate of how many nominees they're going to have, and it's always like a safety net to make sure that they can get, you know, every possible Oscar nominee in there. If they stuck to, you know, just five in the acting instead of six or seven or even eight, you know, that might be kind of interesting. But I th- I think this year, even more than normal, was the most Oscar predictory Critics choice nominations have been in, in quite a long time. Really? It's, in, in some cases, it's practically a cut and paste from the gold derby odds. It's wild.
0: But is that a problem?
1: I don't know if it's a problem. It's just really uninspired. But this has always kind of been the critic's choice thing. And they're they even brag on their own site how close they are to uh, as an Oscar precursor. And I'm like, is that is that your goal? Because if that's your goal, then you're an Oscar prediction website, and then I have competition.
0: But it's been a very, I mean, this whole fall when we've talked, I mean, things have been pretty obvious since the bigger festivals, with, who's competing. We have, you know, um, Kristen Stewart and as Diane and Power of the Dog and Belfast. Just, I mean, it, 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 it's its not like it's a, it feels very obvious who's going to end up in the Oscar race. Do you think that it has to do with anything, you know, the COVID year or how that, that, that it's... anything else that has to do with the industry itself this year that it seems like everything is quite streamlined
1: not as much as i kind of thought that it might be i mean we have things like west side story and dune which are probably the two big cinematic films of the year and they're going to be represented across the board in every group and and both already have in critics groups both the large ones and the regional ones So I think everything is just kind of going along like it normally does. That's sort of what it feels like, this this balance between big studio films and mid-range independence, and then some like real independence. And then we just had the Spirit Awards nominations happen a couple of minutes ago before we started recording this, which are the most non-Oscary I have seen in so long.
0: Interesting. So they're so going long. in a different direction.
1: Really different direction. Um and, and it's interesting because the the trajectory of the Oscars has been very independent film. Spirit Awards winners, especially in Best Feature, uh, show up at the Oscars and win Best Picture at the Oscars quite a bit. Half of the last like decade. Like
0: Madland and...
1: Moonlight and Spotlight and 12 Years a Slave, uh, you know, these are these these end up finding their way to Oscars and winning. And it's that's not gonna happen this year with you don't the Spirit think so. there's Awards
0: none list. represented. Who which are some of the big movies there that represent?
1: So let's look at I know we're we're deviating just a little bit, but it's it's an important part of the the conversation of of, of where uh, the Spirit Awards factor in. And so like in the in the Best Feature category, there's uh, uh, Akiara, Come On, Come On, The Lost Daughter, The Novice, and Zola. Come On, Come On and The Lost Daughter are obviously the closest to Oscar picks, but-
0: Maggie Gyllenhaal should get in for screenplay, right? I mean-
1: Yeah, she'll, def- she'll definitely get in there. Uh, but this was a really wild year in that Those two films, Come On, Come On, and The Lost Daughter, got in feature, director, screenplay, supporting, and their leads were snubbed. Olivia Coleman and Joaquin Phoenix, Oscar winners, recent Oscar winners, both got snubbed. Really wild. So it's really telling that the nomination committees from there, I don't think they are making a specific and grand statement, but they're just saying that, that there is more there's more this year. And those are both independent films, but they're also the closest that are going to come to Oscar Best Picture. And, that, and even if they did, they would be like in the number 10 slot.
0: The past uh, few times that we've talked, we've been going through some of the big movies. And this time around... Both of us, or at least you all, have seen the ones that will be in contention. The year is pretty much over. I don't think we have a lot left. So I wanted to talk about just quickly what you and I thought of the three last big ones that we haven't talked about on this show, and that's West Side Story, Don't Look Up, which I've both seen, and Nightmare Alley, which you've seen, but I haven't gotten to see yet. Mm -hmm. But I think we both really loved West Side Story, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, There are small things that I can nitpick about it, but overall, I thought it was an a, a, a triumph. I was shocked and I was so happy that it was because I thought it was gorgeously shot. and I think there are some breakout stars in this, which is a wonderful thing to have. I love that. I love that we can every year have these these young stars find themselves and and we find them. And there's yeah. definitely a lot of that here. Uh, Ariana DeBose, Rachel Zegler, Mike Feist, my oh, little
0: great. pasty
1: oh. white king. I love <laughs> what a riff. He is so good.
0: He and Ariana DeBose were my MVPs, really, even though I thought the whole cast together was great. Now, I have mm-hmm. a lifelong relationship with uh, West Side Story. Um, and... Spielberg, I always know that he, he's always bringing his A-games and I was really, really impressed with Tony Kushner's um, tweaks that he did, um, really bringing it. I was worried about that it was still going to be in the fifties and how were they going to do this and can you really make you know changes that feel relevant today? And I just thought they really did that. Um, it was emotional in a completely new way in certain points um, when Rita Moreno, stops the I mean there's no other way to put it the rape scene that she herself was in in the uh, 1961 movie I thought that was just an incredible um, circle for this actress and for the whole um, movie I thought that was really powerful and yeah, the, I the think, role that they had built for her, which could yeah. have been just a cheap cameo to push her in there. And it wasn't, it really added something. I thought I was very impressed by that.
1: I was too. And I think, I think most people thought that, that, you know, we, it was going to be kind of just like a, a cameo. It's like, because she was in the original, but it is a fully fleshed character. And um, I thought every choice that Kushner and Spielberg made with the adaptation and especially with Moreno was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and it was many full circle moments, you know, getting getting her and, and Ariana DeBose in a scene together, uh, I thought was kind of magical. And taking, taking somewhere and giving it to her was a pretty inspired choice. And it was interesting because even though some of the way that it shot and cut was not my favorite. It sort of it sort of felt like this um, like a music video montage a little bit uh, which I didn't think that it needed. But something that I really, really liked is that Marina, which who just turned 90, she doesn't have, you know, quite the same range and voice that she used to have. So her singing on this is very restrained and strained as well she can't you know hit up these these high notes and it's not loud it's very internal and i thought that worked beautifully for this and
0: for god's sake she's singing and acting and Mm -hmm. (laughs) i thought it was great no one's seeing it though eric
1: um i i'm i wonder i wonder what i I don't want to make any judgments on its first weekend which was, I think, like 10 million, which is mm-hmm. pretty low. It's pretty low. It's yes, a hundred million dollar movie. Yeah. I, I, and- I, think, I think we need to see what the next couple of weeks look like. It could end up being like The Greatest Showman, which also opened less than 10 million and then became this, you know, word-of-mouth hit. Uh, granted, that was an original musical, even though everything in it. Doesn't sound original. Sounds like something you've heard a thousand times before, <laughs> which is kind of why it was so successful. Um, so I, we'll, we'll see. I I hope that it can kind of build. I hope the the word of mouth for it is positive. And I'm not going to make any crazy claims like Gen Z and millennials don't like musicals or whatever you know silly excuse that Twitter loves to. Uh, put onto something without much evidence.
0: But as you mentioned, we'll be seeing it all over award season and the Oscars. And another movie that is coming out just came out and we talked about at length, the trailer that we thought was pretty weird. And that's don't look up, which is Adam McKay's star studded movie with Meryl Streep, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, um, a satire about, climate change, you could say the comet is about to destroy the Earth and um, Leonardo DiCaprio plays a, a scientist as well as, as as Jennifer Lawrence. Now, I did not like it. <laughs> it was an SNL sketch.
1: A two and a half hour one.
0: A two and a half hour one. And um, uh, there was elements in it. I giggled a few times. I thought DiCaprio was good, but it was fart jokes, and um, I don't know. I just, uh, I didn't, it just did not do it for me. I mean, it wasn't, it was nothing. That's what I thought. It was a very missed opportunity to be a satire. I don't know if they're trying to do a Peter Sellers or what they're what they're going for, but it just didn't elevate, to me, more than a sketch would have. Ariana Grande was good. Things Elements in it were fine, but you could have done it in, 15 minutes
1: well or maybe just with somebody else behind the writer's pen because yes it is a satire but it's a satire with a blunt object because you know adam mckay just does not have a pen for subtlety so there's nothing in this that that gives you a moment of pause of it being clever there's nothing clever in this whatsoever no, it's
0: also kicking down a lot of the time
1: uh, yes although i like, although i liked it more than i thought I, A big part of that was my expectations were so in the basement low that it needed very little to 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 hit where where it hit and i think there are some inspired moments i do think that dicaprio's big network explosion uh at the news desk is Brilliant. But the reason why it's so good is because it's DiCaprio, because there is this convergence of real life DiCaprio and actor DiCaprio at the same time. If it had been another actor, it wouldn't have quite the same impact. So it being him was crucial and he's really good. He's extremely funny. Uh, Yeah. Ariana Grande in her like kind of one scene with him is hilarious with that line about his age, um, I thought that was absolutely hilarious. The song is very funny, and uh, and I think Timothy Chalamet is actually great, <laughs> and in it more than I thought he was great. I thought the the running joke about the paying for snacks was pretty funny. I liked that, and I thought Kate Blanchett was pretty good.
0: There were certainly, you know, little laughs and giggles and things like that, but just on the whole, I mean, considering the star power, the, as you mentioned, the pen behind it, the money that Adam McKay gets to make movies, the whole thing about really, we really need a good satire as as the world is burning around us. Um, It was just, I wanted it to be much better than it was. Yeah, me too. Have a someone put a mirror up to what's going on in a funny way and and just really run with it. But this is just so too simplistic.
1: It was and and you know there were there were plenty of art imitates life and vice versa moments in it. Uh, you know, a, a, I'll just reveal a part of the the plot which is not going to be like oh my god, spoilery, but this comment that's coming has, you know, trillions of dollars worth of minerals that you know a a tech giant in the film played by mark rylance can use for his company for cell phones and all that kind of stuff and just a week ago came the news that hey guess what there is a meteor hurtling near earth and it could be worth you know millions and millions of billions of dollars you know so there there is that but then but that's kind of then where it ends. The the satire is so obvious that there's nothing really to do with it. And Meryl Streep th- this might be one of the most boring performances she's ever given. Mm-hmm. It could be a really wild character but it's underwritten and she underplays it.
0: Anyway, do you think any any awards buzz around it or
1: I sort of feel like how i felt early on with the with the first looks in the in the first trailer where it's a very low level contender still i don't think it's getting in best picture uh it might break into screenplay i hope it doesn't but it might it's a super competitive category editing i can see it getting in song and i kind of hope that it stays at that level i mean i think dicaprio is very close in the acting race i just pulled him out uh last week so he's close he's close
0: and real quick tell us about nightmare alley before we move on also a huge cast Kate blanchett again
1: it might be my most disappointing movie of the year oh no yeah i had i had really high hopes i love everybody in it i love del toro but it is It is a really uninspired film. It doesn't feel like it makes much sense in 2021. It doesn't, I was bored. I was Mm -hmm. bored for the first two thirds. The third act takes this wild left turn into the, the violence that we kind of know from Del Toro uh, and thriller elements but it doesn't earn it for me i thought cooper was pretty bland blanchette was fine but we have seen her give this performance before it's um yeah there wasn't there was nothing in this that was exciting or interesting at all nothing it's gorgeous to look at production design's fabulous there is so much art deco in it that I wanted to live in <laughs> the movie or, or at least in Kate Blanchett's office. I, I, that's, that office was stunning, but it's just uninspired.
0: So maybe some below the line awards for uh, art direction or things like Possibly, that, but not so you much. Know,
1: mm. It's, it's like, like we were mentioning earlier, it got completely ghosted by the golden globe, zero nominations. Uh, But then Critics' Choice, who obviously saw it, gave it, I think, an eight. Uh, So they really, really liked it. Uh, But those were like picture and all below the line. So, yeah, I mean, production design, it might even be a front runner, you know, for that with like West Side Story. So it should be able to do fine with, you know, costumes, production design, maybe makeup and hair, that kind of that kind of thing. And it's, it's a low, it's a low level best picture contender too, for sure. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
0: We'll see what happens. But moving on to something that both you and I can agree that Adam McKay has done well succession which he executive produces what a season finale I can't I'm still not over it (laughs) an amazing overall season I just want to start off the bat what were your reactions to the season finale
1: Uh, I'm almost still speechless (laughs) (laughs) it was just Shakespearean in its absolute savagery um it was shocking yet totally not shocking once you once you, once things happened you just started you know working your way backwards and everything made sense and uh and you know the breadcrumbs were there even in the initial poster art for the damn show before the season shows you exactly how it ends.
0: Yeah, if you look at the poster, you have Logan, Tom, and Greg walking on one side and looking at Kendall and the siblings on the other one. I mean, basically, they told us exactly what was going to happen at the end in the first poster.
1: Yes, this uh, succession is like the anti-Fast and the Furious, and it is not about family.
0: Yeah, I just want to I just want to stop right there to comment on something you're saying, which I think is so true. You hit the nail on the head and that's what they're so good at. And what is so impressive is that even though you're surprised, you're not surprised you realize that they have been working on every single minutia of every character's arc. You look back at Tom, how he's been maneuvering, how he's been pushed down by the family, by his wife. You know, I love you, but I don't love you. Of course this is what he does. Of course this is what's going to happen. And the same with all of them. Where was this going to go and just putting the siblings together and knowing that they do only four weeks of the writer's room breakdown of the entire series. They do the entire series outline in four weeks. I have no idea how they do that, including breakdown of every episode. I was listening to Jesse Armstrong saying that.
1: Yeah, I loved that the last couple of of episodes were locked into this Italian villa. Uh, Actually, I really loved the whole way that the season was done in 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 that way and how little of it was in new york and you know a, a big part of that was covid and and you know being able to, to to shoot they shot this under covid like every tv show that's come out this year
0: and don't you love that they don't talk about covid i mean that covid's not you know it,
1: it's very hit and miss for me about when shows talk about it and when shows do it because i think i i think sometimes you can you can do it really well but but I don't know. Other other times, not so much. So in this in this case, yes, it would have been a huge distraction from the 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 family drama and basically huge Monopoly game. Wink, wink there. Yeah, Uh, that was that was happening because they were in this massive villa for the mom's new wedding yet it felt like the most claustrophobic place in the world they were just running around trying to figure out what the deals being made behind their back were and it was just it it was just nail-biting thriller material and this is in in a sense a bit of a satire as well this is basically like no different than dynasty or dallas or any of those shows from the 80s, it just is, it's seriousness is kind of what sells it. And it's what sells the the darkness of the comedy so well. And that's whomever is is dispelling, whether it's Matthew McFadden uh, or Kieran Culkin, holy oh, shit, holy what shit. an episode for Kieran Culkin. Oh my god, this is an Emmy winning episode. I'm I'm just
0: I mean when he when you see the tears in his eyes and when he just when he says that love line, what what do mm-hmm. you think this and he's just I, I, I it was just it's really this combination in succession. You have the real life research that they've done i mean there's a lot of real murdoch in this particularly this episode i remember when the murdoch family was actually selling and the kids were losing out and all that but add to that in the series these real emotions the heartbreak between the siblings and the father and and you really can connect to them
1: this 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 is this is the fascinating thing to me about a show like this is because you know we are talking about multi-billionaire people um but the audience is not the audience is is middle class so we are watching shows like this with two different minds one with a little bit of fomo yes i would love to jump in a helicopter and go to an italian villa and not think about anything you know that i have to pay rent or whatever but at the same time you're also watching a story where you want these people to fail and you want them to hurt and you want them to feel something uh that that is outside of money that money cannot uh replace or that is the cause of of it because money is the cause of the everything that happens in the finale of this of the kids being cut out and and trying to you know perform this coup against their father and but at you can't do that if, if at its base and at its heart is not real human emotion and contact, and both for, uh, for Kendall, uh, actually, I mean everybody, really. That is everybody. that is the case, uh, and it just makes it extremely compelling drama. Otherwise, it would just be dynasty in Dallas. But it's 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 working on a on a much more complicated level. I wish I wish Adam McKay could do this for his movies. If I his know. movies were like Succession, something like Don't Look Up would be a masterpiece.
0: I mean, you understand Logan as well when he says mm-hmm. go get your own pile. These kids are they're not doing a great job. I mean, you understand everyone's perspective, even when he's monstrous and has his grandchild test his potentially poisoned mozzarella. <laughs> he goes far, but you you still buy him maneuvering these things. Two questions I wanted to ask you about. One right. was the fact that Kendall killed this boy. This has been, a, you know, a threat from his father. He's he's been as he said, very lonely, not being able to talk about this, when am I going to get caught, all these things. The fact that he now told his siblings and they reacted almost jokingly and seemingly giving him a pass um, to feel better. You know, we've all killed a kid. Yeah. Is that over now or will we have any more implications?
1: Oh, I don't think it's over at all. I think that's why it's been such a subtextual threat this whole season. Uh, And I think it's a setup for for next season. I know a lot of people did think that uh, that Jeremy Strong was leaving and they were going to kill him off in the in the finale. And I mean, I guess it's possible that they would find an exit for him next season if he if he wants it that way. But I, I do feel like this has been an impending doom for him. Otherwise, why even ever mention it again? uh it's this this is this is an they existential sort of crisis it
0: out of they, they can if they want to just sort of leave it there almost like a trope rich people kill people and get off that's sort Ex- of you know what i mean they could
1: exactly just exactly sort of leave it
0: and then go on but
1: but this has been why the show is so good is that <laughs> it's it's been playing chess the entire time just like logan has logan was playing chess and these kids came in with connect four and <laughs> and and he just said, You guys are done, yeah. You blew it. Uh, and that's which, the other
0: thing, he, he must have known about this divorce thing. I mean, it's not like his lawyers aren't telling him when he's gonna do, make a deal.
1: That's yeah, that's that's the only thing right? that was that was interesting. But 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 the, the thing about that is that they've never been in this position where he would need to make a change there because they've always been basically subservient to him and it was only kendall last season that that broke from that so to end this season sort of how last season ended but with all of the kids together except for cooper of course because while he may be the oldest he's really on the outside connor, of
0: connor connor, connor. Yeah, yeah.
1: yes uh on on the outside of all of this still um, dog.
0: <laughs> I know
1: he's he is kind of lucky in that way and and maybe you can't the, see
0: it now but
1: <laughs> yeah he's he's the he has money
0: a good wife just leave <laughs>
1: he's the he's the safest of the four kids because he didn't participate in this failed coup but yeah this this is the thing that that is always so the payoff payoffs on this show are so thrilling and exciting and emotional always
0: and the rumor now, or the speculation is that uh, Shiv is pregnant
1: <laughs> mm,
0: I mean that's just a
1: it is you know and and she had that you know that that moment where she was trying to almost forcibly get pregnant. It was just so awkward um I don't know i don't know I don't know what that really does for her though as a character move um it's she's she's up uh, she's already kind of behind as a woman and a sister with with three brothers, and this would not help her, but I think they're all kind of screwed right now
0: but when Tom puts his hands on her shoulders and you sort of realize first it's Logan and then this one that she thought that she could you know boss around and have under her thumb and use him in the business as she needed him to. All of them are so crushed in that last scene, and these beautiful, almost Renaissance paintings—pictures of one after the other collapsing. Someone wrote, hang, the, "Hang it in the louvre Of that one shot of the three of them in the dirt, uh-huh. there, yeah, is pretty incredible.
1: It, it is, and it's, it's, it's again. You you can look at these things as here's billionaire people having billionaire problems, but at its heart, these are universal family issues, you can take the billions out of it and still find the connections that an average person can have with it, whether it is, you know, love uh, from a parent or sibling, or a spouse, whatever it is, those elements are all still there.
0: Georgia Pritchett, who I interviewed, who's one of the writers and executive producers, she was telling me that that's the thing about this family and many families like this, that they can never break free from this. I mean, even if they try, this is part of their entire life and they're proud of it and they want to compete with each other and there's nothing else out there. There's no one else that can understand the dynamic between them. Um, And you really got that in this episode.
1: Yeah, definitely that. Um, and because none of the none of the kids have partners that they can rely on or trust. Uh definitely not now. Um, or can so,
0: understand.
1: Yeah. So in yeah, or understand. So in this moment, all they had was each other. That was it. And I was, I mean, I was really kind of glad that that Kendall was not on his own like he was at the end of last season. He had the support of shiv and, and roman really for the first time in 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 this very specific fight
0: when he they've talked these collapse there and he's crying and then they get up to walk back and he goes can i be with you guys It was just so sweet it's
1: it's very childlike it was yeah. a very they like really re- reverting yeah which is which is interesting because that's the thing that's fascinating about the opening credits is that it really only exists with them as children. And they kind of went back to that.
0: Do you remember a series that has stuck the landing so incredibly on three season finales going from Kendall hugging Logan um, when he killed this boy to Kendall doing this press conference and, you know, sticking the knife in his father's back to this ending? Do you remember any series that done it has done it so majestically is this
1: i think the leftovers did a pretty good job with that they only had three seasons but i think each time did that and they did it because they respected the integrity of the characters and they respected the audience and and if your if your season finale is really just about you know shocks and it's inconsistent with character development, and doesn't exist outside of that. Then it's you're not respecting the audience and the work that they do to watch a series and to be invested in it. Uh, so there's there's not a lot there's not a lot that do that, and it's it's a t- it's a tough thing to do too because you know you want to obviously give something to the audience to bring to however long it is till they see the next season. But it has to, it can't, the note can't ring false. It has to be, it has to be real and it has to be grounded regardless of the, the genre or or topic. It still has to be real.
0: Again, exactly that, which they're so good at, that even though the finales are just outrageously shocking what? what just happened? You still buy, as you said at the beginning, when you look back, you buy every character. Why they ended up in that room and why it happened doesn't feel like just a dum-dum-dum, you know, mm-hmm. moment. It feels like you really get why this happened. And it's just a genius move. I no I'm so impressed. So I'm going to do one last question before we, what do you make of Marsha? Does she know all this? Is she just being paid off and she sort of confounds me as, as if they're going to do something more with her in season four.
1: I guess I sort of feel, I mean, she, she's sadly been so underwritten the last two seasons after being such an important part of season one. But I, I I would say that that might be the show's weakest point is not knowing what to do with her after season one. Um, she became completely irrelevant, sadly. Um, and I think it would be strange to kind of bring her back in a way that is like, gotcha. Um, I, I don't think that would make a whole lot of sense. So I don't, I don't know. She's just so fringe at this point that it, I I don't, I don't even know if it matters.
0: Forefetched theory, the siblings go with her to bring Logan down. Um, (laughs) i think she knows stuff
1: i mean she might but she would have to have like like evidence stuff not just i know these things have happened it would you know it would have to yeah because they do still have the the federal case is still breathing down their neck that's not gone so that's 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 that was kind of little bit of breadcrumbed in the second half of the season where it was a big part of the first half uh of the season but once they once the second half kind of came in and certainly uh you know Alexander Skarsgård and and his character is absolutely hilarious uh and that whole that whole thing there was there wasn't it very much took a took a back burner but it's still there. So it's going to have to be a part of season four in some That'll way. That'll
0: be back. Alexander will be back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something. I don't know. I mean, are the, are they selling? Are they not? Are the kids cut out of the will? What's going on?
0: Well, it's going to be a long wait, Eric.
1: I know this <laughs> was already a long wait because of COVID.
0: But we'll be back before then. Am I thinking next time we talk when you have time, I'm, I'm I think he will do some real predictions. I'm. I want to do my Oscar nomination predictions.
1: Yes, and I'm gonna get you on my show.
0: Oh, I'm so excited!
1: Yeah, Bye. I know <laughs> it's crazy.
0: That um, I'm looking forward to that. So maybe what early January, right after Christmas?
1: I I think that sounds good. Early January has like Critics' Choice and. Golden Globes, depending on what that looks like and Hollywood Critics Association and and those kinds of things. So, yeah. So either right before or right after that would be perfect.
0: That's great. Can't wait. Eric, thank you so much and happy holidays.
1: Yes, you too. To everybody.
0: All right. Bye. Bye.